This is the Jesus Habit Podcast, where we're using scripture and science to make your new nature in Christ second nature. Episode 33 for Wednesday, October 16th, 2019. Big idea, we are the people of a better hope. Our weekly identity statement, my hope is anchored, firm, and secured to Jesus and the work he completed on my behalf. And our memory verse, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Hebrews 4, 14-16 As we continue to unpack just how much greater Jesus is than everything, today we get more understanding into why the new covenant Jesus made with us is greater than the old covenant God made with the people of Israel. The author is making it clear that there was a need for a second covenant. Considering the author's intent is to keep people from turning back to the old covenant, it's easy to get caught up in trying to belittle the old covenant as being this incredibly broken system. But the problem with the old covenant wasn't the covenant itself as much as it was the people. It was the people who continually rebelled against God. It was the people who refused to obey his commands. It wasn't as much that the covenant was messed up as it was the people. There were people who lived righteously under the old covenant. We're going to hear their stories in chapter 11. We get descriptions of many people who, though the majority were going their own way, these still sought to worship God alone. There were people who had the law of their God in their hearts, Psalm 37, 31. Not only was David called a man after God's own heart, he desired to do God's will because God's law was in his heart, Psalm 40, verse 8. There are other references as well, such as Isaiah 51, 7, where God is speaking to the people who know what is right, who have taken my instruction to heart. Part of the error I think we have made in our modern-day Christianity is misinterpreting the concept that the prophet Jeremiah wrote about and is quoted here in Hebrews 8, 10. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. We have made mistakes with these verses. John sixteen thirteen. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. And 1 John two twenty and verse 27 But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. As for you, the anointing you received from Him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about all things, and as the anointing is real, not counterfeit, and so on. We take them to mean that we will just know everything we need to know instantaneously when we become believers, because the Holy Spirit will write this new covenant in our hearts. And we take that to mean that we will suddenly know every ounce of God's truth. Therefore, we don't need anyone to teach us. Well, there are some problems here. First is context. John was writing to address people who were being led astray by antichrists. They had already been taught the truth, so they didn't need a new truth. 
John is at least as much reminding the people that they already know the commands which he lays out as loving God by obeying God, and the way we obey God is to love our brothers and sisters. What if the new covenant that is being written on our hearts is as simple as the new covenant Jesus gave us the night before his crucifixion? John 13, verse 34 and 35, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. What if that's the entirety of the covenant that gets written on our hearts when we put our faith in Christ? What if we have been operating under the false assumption that when we become believers, we instantly know all of God's word? That's scary, but necessary to fix. The other point to make about these verses is this. The Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. It does not say that God will implant the truth into our hearts like Neo on the Matrix. Rather, that the Holy Spirit will guide us into the truth. We are not passive recipients. We are active investigators with the Spirit of God as our co-investigator. Why am I saying all this? So that we can really get an understanding of today's passage. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. First, there is clearly a now and not yet aspect to this passage. There will certainly come a day when God's laws alone rule the hearts of his people. That will be a glorious day. But But I do believe that this is something God desires for us now, today. But how? Well, at least in part by using the same techniques the ancients used. Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How do you hide God's word in your heart? Sure, you can work and labor over memorizing it. That's one way to do it, and it's good to do so. But that's not how the ancients did it. That's not what God had in mind when he gave it. This is what he meant, Deuteronomy 6, 6 6-9. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Reading God's promises and our response to those promises was never supposed to be that obligatory thing we do when our guiltometer gets into the danger zone. God wanted his people to be obsessed with his word, that expressed part of his nature that he had given to his people, that thing of God that came out of God that is as reliable and unchanging as God himself. And he even told us how to get them on our hearts to talk about them when we're sitting around the house, when we're walking to and from the house, to talk about them when we're going to sleep and when we wake up, to change our physical environment with reminders by putting symbols on our hands and tying them around our foreheads, to serve as a reminder, to write them on the door frames, to see when we come and go. God expected nothing less than obsession from his people. This isn't just a surface understanding. It isn't even fanboy level. This is stalkerish. This is infatuation. This is being immersed in, eating, sleeping, and breathing God's promises. We want God's truth written on our hearts. I do. 
But for many of us, there are many other truths that we've written on our hearts. There, there are things we talk about around the house and with our friends when we're driving in the car or as we go to sleep and wake up, the post-it notes on our desks and reminders on our phones. But most of the time, these messages indicate our obsession with life in modern society more than obsession with God. God loves his kids too much to let them embrace lies that will destroy them. Anything not of God that is written on our hearts will eventually lead to our destruction. But, you may be asking, how do I know what's written on my heart? Well, along with anxiety, worry, stress, and other signs we've already talked about, I think there is one more red flag we should start paying attention to. Our triggers. If there is something that triggers us, it's a clue that we're either trusting or worshiping the wrong thing. We are a ridiculously triggered society. We are offended by everything. Well, why do you think that is? Because we have mistruths written on our hearts. We have embraced these mistruths so much that we call them my truth. We believe them as though they are actual legitimate truth. And then when someone else's truth conflicts with my truth, we get offended. Why do we get offended? Because the mistruth is written on our hearts. And there are thousands, if not millions of them today. We don't think we have idols, but we do. And it's on par with the 33 million gods of Hinduism, if not more. Instead of hiding thy word in our hearts, we have hidden my word in our hearts. We worship at the thrones of materialism, consumerism, individualism, gratification, emotionalism, comfort, substances, family, ambition, science, money, sex, and self, to name a few. The words of Jesus echo loud and clear. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, or take out money and put in power influence, control, etc. Those things that trigger you and me are probably things that we have in our hearts. And God's plan for your life and my life is to get the hook and line of that idol out of our hearts because it's holding us back. This doesn't mean that Christ followers aren't ever triggered. We're just supposed to be triggered by the things that trigger God. Injustice, lack of mercy, pride, rebellion. So the question is, what's your obsession? Or maybe a better question to ask is, what's triggering you? www.thejesushabit.com